Well, as we, um, <clears throat> as we get started here, I <clears throat> excuse me, really wanted to just say that um, if you've been watching the news this week, I hope you're as uh, heavy-hearted and broken as I am in what's going on in our country. Um, and oftentimes people come up to me and uh, church is a place where you bring that burden, you bring those questions, and you're wondering, you know, what, what's going on? What, what do we do about that? What do we say about it? And um, I, thought about, uh, I thought about what to say this morning and uh, how our church should respond to uh, racial tensions, the injustice that's happening, and um, for, I just want you to know my heart is broken, I mean, both for the African-American community, for the law enforcement community. Um, I have a lot to say but I'm standing on a stage that looks like a submarine. And uh, we have our, our treasured missionary friends in from PNG. So this is not the weekend for me to tell you all that I want to say, you know, after we're doing motions for a song called Bubbling Up. I, I know. Um, so I just want you to know it's on my heart, it's on my mind. And honestly, as I'm talking to my elders, our church has not yet found its voice on the issues that are going on in our world when it comes to racial tension terrorism, the election that's coming up. A lot of people are going to have a lot of opinions, and my goal and heart as your shepherd is going to be that in, in this church, we can model and display kindness, love, empathy together. How are we going to do that? Well, we're just getting started in, in finding that out together, but I've got a lot to say. I'll be sending out some emails this week. We'll be covering it in services in the future. We're going to talk to our small group leaders, our staff members, as we try and find our voice together, but let me just encourage you at the, at the forefront here, be very careful about your response. Usually if you're posting in all caps on Facebook, what you're saying is about to be really dumb. So be really careful how you're responding as you represent our church and the gospel, what you say in small groups, um, and, uh, and be sure to check everything that I send out this week as we start to process all of this together. All right, I'm saying that, and then we're moving on into the sermon here together. Um, you can open your Bibles up into the book of James, chapter 4, verse 13. James, chapter 4, verse 13. The series is called Faith in the Fire, and today we're learning about how to trust God with our future. Um, I'd like to pray first, uh, and uh, to close this theme here on the way into the sermon, let's pray first together, uh, and then let's, let's open up God's Word together. Father, we, we come into your presence here. We believe that you are here with us in a special way when we gather. And so, Father, we do bring our burdened, heavy hearts uh, about what's going on in our country, the violence, the injustice, the revenge, the anger, uh, Lord, and um, the false idealisms that are found in other faiths and, and how that's leading to more violence. We just ask, O oh Lord, that you would fill this church with uh, a love for justice and a love for mercy. We want both, Lord. We want you to build them into our hearts. We also want you to continue to build us up in our faith so that it will stand the test of any trial that comes our way. We know that this is only possible with the presence of your Spirit. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, today we're going to talk about the future. The future. Uh, if I were to add up the sum total of things that I absolutely know to be true about my future, it would be a giant goose egg. Zero. Um, because the Bible is honest. You don't know anything about your future. Which is why it's always funny when movies try and predict what's going to happen in the future. And they get it so wrong. When, when you think of the movie Demolition Man that came out in 1993. Did you see that movie? Sly Stallone. And uh, who else was in it? Wesley Snipes. It was set in the year 2032. And in that movie, 
which came out in 93, they said that there hadn't been a murder since 2010. That was a little idealistic of them. They also said Taco Bell is the only remaining restaurant to survive the franchise wars, and the only restaurant available was Taco Bell. Yeah, that's pretty laughable. In 1991, Terminator 2 came out, 91, predicted that by 2004, humans would be fighting to survive against a giant robot army. That was to happen in 2004. What about in 2009, a movie came out called 2012. They asked, what if the Mayan calendar was right and the world would end in 2012? Well, it didn't. In 1989, Ghostbusters 2 came out, and in that movie was a prediction uh, that the world would end on February 14, 2016, earlier this year. Thankfully, it did not. We all made it safely through Valentine's Day. Probably the funniest one I read about is in 1930, a movie came out called Just Imagine. In 1930, they were wondering what the year 1980 would be like. And not only was travel to Mars open to all by the year 1980, but babies were actually ordered in vending machines. And you'd walk up to the vending machine. What do you want, a boy or a girl? You'd push the button, and the baby would come down the chute. And off you would go with your newly formed family. What will the future be like? We're all mesmerized. We're all fascinated. We're all wondering, what will the future be like? What will I be like in the future? But really, truly, you don't know anything about the future. You can't. It's a mystery. But God, thankfully, does know everything about the future. When we feel uncertain or insecure, when we're wondering how things are going to escalate or turn out, and we're, we're afraid, we have to trust God. Check out James chapter 4, verse 13. He says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whatever, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. God is talking to you and me about our future. He is talking to us about the things that will come that are not here yet. He wants you to know that you should trust him with your future. James says, come now you who say. So he's talking to a specific audience here, and what is he saying? You who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So these are planners, these are dreamers, these are entrepreneurs, these are businessmen who are about to go around and they've got a good business thing happening and they're about to make some money. But I think they can represent a stage of life that we all find ourselves in. You can write this down. Number one, are you dreaming and planning for a better future? Do you find yourself in their shoes? Today or tomorrow, we're going to go and do this. We're going to say this. We're going to be here. We're going to... We react to the uncertainty of the future by dreaming and by planning. Some of us are dreamers. Others are planners. Raise your hand up if you would say you're more of a planner. You're more of a planner. My hand is up. I'm more of a planner. I like to know what the plan is going to be. All right? Raise your hand up if you're more of a dreamer. You don't really want the plan. You want the idea. You want the vision. You want the... You, want, you people drive me crazy. What's the plan? I don't know, but it's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Are you dreaming and planning for a better future? 
Some of us like surprises, some of us hate surprises, but both are a way to cope with the uncertainty of the future. Here, we have people who are planning, in verse 13, sounds like business is booming for them. Great plan, great market, profit on the horizon, they're able to travel, which means they've already done pretty well. This shows us, um, this is like a window into the early church. James is writing this book to several churches. And so there's a class, a group of people who were well-to-do. They had money, they could travel, but then there were other people who didn't have money, they couldn't travel. And it seems like what's going on is the, the upper class are almost flaunting, bragging, boasting uh, about their plans in the church. You know, oh, I'm going to go here. And they're kind of parading around their, their affluence and, and their, um, their business and their profits. And, you know, people who are coming in off the fields, they're working hard, and, and they don't have much, and they're, they're wowed by this and made to feel small. What is James going to say? He's going to caution these people uh, about this season of life they're in. Maybe this is the season of life you are in. Maybe a tremendous opportunity just presented itself. Maybe something new and promising seems to be flourishing. Maybe you're on the go. And you're seeing places and meeting people, and it feels good. The future looks bright. Maybe you're planning your next big move, wondering what that big decision is going to be. Hey, God's Word is talking to you. In love, God's Word is talking to you, and God Himself is cautioning you about this stage of life that you're in. Are you going to listen? Are your ears getting bigger or smaller as these opportunities come into your life? God wants you to be careful, not careless. And sadly, the people in this text were being careless. They were not involving God in their plans. They were crowding God out, and they were chasing after what the world had to offer. You have to involve God in the plans when things are going bad, when things are going good. What we see here in the Bible is there are different forms of trials and temptations. And yes, when you don't have enough, that's a big, big, big trial. But when you have too much, the Bible actually calls that a bigger trial. The trial of having more and more and building bigger and better. When your riches increase, that's actually a bigger trial than when you're forced to depend on God flat on your face because you have nothing. Are you seeing it that way? You have to also just step back and understand the, the day in which we live. You know, here they are dreaming and planning for a better future when life is already pretty good. They're not happy yet. They want more. And this tinge of greed and this tinge of self-ambition and self-promotion is permeating their whole life. Look around. You live in the most prosperous nation in human history. Do you know that? By far, you live in the most, the quality of your life, no matter what class you live in in this country, by far is better than most people who have lived throughout history. Are you perfectly happy and content yet? No, you're not. Neither am I. America had a dream that everyone could own their own home and have their peace, their security, their freedom. Yet, even though we have the largest economy in human history, we keep borrowing more, swiping the national credit card. Why? Because all of this is still not enough. We're borrowing more than we've made. Is that alarming to you? Time Magazine did a, a special, and on the cover, 
they listed if every American, man, woman, and child, paid their fair share so that the total national debt was paid off and we didn't owe anybody any more money. Do you know how much each person in your family would owe? Here's the number, $42,998.12 times five in my family. So, so if I give the government over $200,000 to cover my share of how much they've overspent, we're just getting started, one person down. Imagine if you add up how much money in this whole church we would have to give our government to start paying down the credit cards. What does that say? What does that say? It says it's never enough when you're trying to find happiness and contentment in the stuff of the world. America has proved that. Are you dreaming and planning for a better future? Where are you looking? What rocks are you looking under? Where are you finding satisfaction? Where are you looking for security? My goodness, all of the money in this country is not enough to make us satisfied or secure. Are we going to keep lusting after more and more and more? I saw an interesting book title written by an Australian guy this week. His book title was called, When Too Much is Never Enough. Do you hear that? When too much is never enough. I think that describes our life. Too much is never enough. He goes on to talk about all of the woes that come when we are unhappy with too much. We're literally, we're figuratively, we're running into the desert for ice because we can't find it there. You know it. You find yourself surrounded by so many unhappy, empty souls. You know it. And at times when you have more and more and more, your soul is empty and unhappy. Are we learning the lesson yet? Are we learning the lesson yet? The dreaming and the planning is fine, but the better future does not come with more, more, more. Let's get our future straight here. The worst day of your life will be the day you grab onto everything the world promises and let go of Christ. That's the worst day of your life. Is that what you're chasing? The best day of your life will be the day you let go of everything in this world and enter paradise with Jesus. Is that what you're most excited about? Let's get our future screwed on straight here. Are you dreaming and planning for a better future? Be careful. Here's the second thing you can jot down. Be careful because tomorrow is out of your control. It says in verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what is coming. The Bible flat out says your future is uncertain. Your riches are not dependable. The market will change. You're not in control. The future is beyond your understanding and your control. How should you respond to this? Well, unfortunately, the way we respond to it is we get anxious and we get, we get fearful. And so we try and get more control over our future and, and we still can't. We're squeezing water. We can't get more control over our future even if we wanted to. Instead, faced with the total insecurity about the future, we should learn humility before God. We should humble ourselves, let go of trying to control everything, and trust that he's the only one who can control the future. But we don't. Instead, we learn pride and not humility. Uh, this past week was a special week for Lauren. For me, we had our 16th wedding anniversary. 16. Happy birthday to our marriage. We're so excited. We have some pictures here. That's one of the pictures from our wedding. Yeah, isn't that awesome? And uh, there we are in the year 2000, wondering what our life will hold. What's funny is 
We didn't know anything about our future. Let me just say that. Those two kids who, who got married there had no idea that God would call me into ministry. We got married with no clue that God was going to call me into ministry. We both just got our teaching certificates. I taught in Plainfield, then I taught in Glen Allen. Lauren taught in Joliet, then she taught in Lombard. And our plan was just to teach. We're going to teach. And then maybe I'd go back to college, and then I'd become a professor at a college teaching teachers how to teach. That was my life plan. We are going to be married for five years, go to Europe, see the sights, come back, buy a home, start a family, and God just took out that big eraser. And he's just like... Within a year, Lauren was pregnant. Ellie came along in 2002, two years, so our family started fast. In 2002, God also began calling me into ministry after we helped plant a church just as volunteers. And in 2002, I became a part-time pastor. In 2004, I became a full-time pastor and went to Moody uh, to get my degree downtown. Then four years later, we started feeling like something more was coming. Then, then in 2008, we went into the training center. And in 2009, we launched a church in our hometown. And we didn't know any of this was coming. None of it. Big surprise. Which is really funny. Then after we launched our church, some of you were around in the launch team days, we didn't know anything where we were going to meet. We didn't have a building. We didn't even have a worship leader. Mark didn't come along until like June, June, July. Then we met, we found a building, and then after a year we outgrew it, so we didn't know where we were going to meet the next year. Then Stag High School came online. They wouldn't even talk to us the first year, but then the second year we reached out to them, and they came to the first meeting with a contract and said, here you go, you can meet in our, in our school. And for four years, we were there. But then they came to us and said, yeah, you know what? This isn't a long-term plan, so we're going to give you the one-year warning, and then you need to get out. And we're like, well, where are we going to go now? And we had a facility team. We worked for two years. We found this building came up for sale, and uh, one of our elders saw it online, and then, bam, we chased after it, and here we are. We didn't know any of this. Couldn't know any of this. But God knew it all. Tomorrow is out of your control. So what? If I don't know anything about tomorrow, I'm not supposed to plan? That's not what the Bible says. If I can't know anything about tomorrow, I'm not supposed to dream? That's not what the Bible says. But you don't trust your plans. You don't rest your hope in your dreams. Your security does not come from your planning. Because you learn humility when you understand how little you know about your own future. And you take your plans and you commit them to the Lord. You take your dreams and you bring them to the feet of the Lord. He ultimately gets the last word and everything that you're hoping for. You're not guaranteed another day. That should humble you. Are you dreaming and planning for a better future? Tomorrow is out of your control. Jeremiah 29, 11, though, makes us optimistic. It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Trust God with your future. Trust God with your future. What that means is you are humbling yourself and you're willing to, with two open hands, come into his presence and say, God, you're in control of my future. Put anything and anyone in my life you desire. Take anything and anyone out of my life as you desire. That's what surrender looks like. Life is really just props 
It's all about you in the presence of the Lord with two open hands surrendered to his will. That's his desire. Everything else is just props trying to get you into that posture. Are you there or are you fretting over what's going to happen next? Tomorrow's out of your control. There's nothing you can do to change that. Hey, are you dreaming and planning for a better future? Tomorrow's out of your control. Write this down, number three. And your tomorrows are almost gone. Your tomorrows are almost gone. It says in verse 14, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Then it says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This is kind of demeaning, if you ask me. This doesn't make me feel very important to to be talked about as if I just came out of a spray bottle. A mist. Do you have a spray bottle at home? Next time you're doing your hair or whatever, just hold it up and squirt once. That's you. A mist. There, gone. There, gone. This is not intended to make you feel like you're nothing to God. It's not meant to demean you or demoralize you. This is meant to teach you the truth about yourself. That you will not be here for long and you won't be here forever. It doesn't mean God lacks love for you. It doesn't mean you're not made in his image. It just means that the thought that you're going to be here permanently is an illusion. And the sooner that gets broken apart, the better. Because you're a, you're a one squirt and done. You're going to vanish soon and you'll be gone. That illustrates the brevity of life. It doesn't diminish your value. It illustrates the brevity of life. It also illustrates how your profits and your plans are so speculative that they can vanish by morning. All of them. Gone. And it shows how when you vanish, you go in the ground, you're mostly forgotten. There'll be a few loved ones for most of us who remember us for a generation, and then we're just swept up in the the fog of the past of history, and we're really not remembered very much here in this life. Your tomorrows are almost gone. By contrast, we know God is eternal. God created time. God never runs out. He owns it all. And he determines the number of your days. He's Lord over all time. He created. Sometimes people say, well, well, who created God? That's a sequence question. Before and after. God made time. He manufactured it. He invented before and after. But he's eternal. He's not subject to it. Understanding time means everything that ever came into existence in this world started at a point in time. You too. One of the most humbling things you can ever ponder is your own previous non-existence. Look back to the headlines the year before you were born and remind yourself you were nowhere. You were nothing. You were a possibility in the thought of an infinite God who decided to be creative and make you. Yeah, you haven't been around forever. You won't be around for long. That's humbling, which is the whole point. That's humbling to realize just how small of a slice of time God has put on your plate and how he's in control of just how big that piece gets. It's humbling. Moses knew this in Psalm 90, 10 to 12. Uh, the Psalm of Moses, he wrote, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. 
they're soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, get this, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of a wisdom, a heart of wisdom. I like that. Teach us to number our days. What does that mean? That means there's a countdown. There's a countdown. And, and if you're, you got a calendar up on your wall, every time you X out a day, that's one last day you have left on this one. The, the clock is ticking down. There's a countdown clock on the whole, the whole course of human history. And the Bible says we live in the last days, which means we're in overtime. And the clock is, is ticking down. I don't watch soccer much because it's weird. But I'm going to tell you, they do this thing called extra time. All right, extra time where the game is over, but, but the refs are just letting it play on for a little longer because they feel there were some delays and there were some infractions and they're, so they're just letting it play on. They're, there's nothing that governs how long they let the extra time go. They're just like, they're just like following a hunt. Mm, done! It's not the way sports work in the United States of America, right? <laughs> but listen, we are in extra time after Christ rose from the grave. Extra time! And any moment, God can be like, done, and it's over. He's not only in control of the number of days you have, he's in control of the number of days humanity has, and they're not many. David knew this in Psalm 139, 16. He says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. On your birthday, God could have handed you a calendar with the day of your death circled. That's humbling. That's humbling. He's in control of your future. Then you vanish. I hope this is shattering for you the illusion of permanence. The nature of your life is it isn't your life. You were given a beginning. You will be given an end. So the thought that I'm going to go here and there and make this and that and is so foolish. You're a mist. You're, you're from a spray bottle. God will soon take back the life he gave you. He's righteous to do it. It's his, not yours. Your life is borrowed, not owned. Your life is a loner. Everything in your life is a loner. You can't avoid this truth. Embracing it fosters humility. Wrestling against it fosters pride, foolish pride. Hey, are you dreaming and planning for a better future? Tomorrow's out of your control. Your tomorrows are almost gone. He says here in verse 13, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such and town, spend a year there, trade and make a profit. You don't know what your tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Then he tells us what we should do. Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, if, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Wow, what a, what an anthem of humility. If the Lord wills, I will live. I'll wake up again. And do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Jot this down. So humbly submit your plans to God. 
<clears throat> your tomorrows are almost gone, so humbly submit your plans to God. James is saying here it's foolish to brag about your wealth, to trust your plan, to love your finances, to hoard your stuff. Soon you will stand empty-handed in heaven. What will you have then there for you? Jesus said we should store up treasure in heaven. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. What will you have waiting for you when you leave this life? We store up treasure in heaven through faith, generosity, love, evangelism. So we have to be careful how we walk in this life. Really, everything we do here should be storing up a better inheritance for us there. It says here that we should say, if the Lord wills. Many people are confused about what it means to follow God's will. Um, sometimes Christians do whatever they want, and then they just stamp like God, God's name on it. Like, well, you know, I know God's going to be with me, and, and I'm just going to follow him. But basically, they're doing what they want, and they're just trying to rubber stamp God's will on top of it. But God's name is not written over every door you walk through. So we have to be discerning on what God's will is and what it isn't. How do we figure that out? Well, here's a few helpful tips for knowing and following God's will. You can write these down. These are bonus notes. You can put the, you got to write them all out by hand. I know if you get a cramp, just shake it. You'll be okay. Just but write them down. ABCs of knowing and following God's will. First, the most weighty and authoritative voice in your ear should be God's word. If God's word says do it, you must instantly, without hesitation or division in your heart, do it. No questions asked. If God's word says don't do it, you should not do it period, no questions asked. It is the top number one authoritative voice in all of your decision making. That comes, that comes into play. Everything from parenting to divorce to everything. Number, the second little sub point here is biblical advice, meaning you sit down with a small group leader or a pastor and they're like, all right, you know, the Bible doesn't say anything black and white, but here are some biblical principles in scripture that apply directly to you starting this new business or you making this, this new choice you know, in your life, entering into this new relationship. Let me give you some biblical principles. Those should be second heaviest weight in your heart. Very influential. Okay. Third in line would be common sense. Right? Should I, shouldn't I do this? Well, you know what? The Bible doesn't exactly cover it, but the Bible says to walk in wisdom. So here's some wise principles about the housing market going on right now or, or investments. Here's where it's trending. And if, if you go against the grain of that, of, of common sense, then that's foolish. You're, you're not taking common sense advice. You're going against the advice that people, or you, know, or you sit down with your dad and he's like, well, you know what? I've met a lot of people. Let me just tell you, it seems like this guy is this kind of, and you're just like, eh, I don't want to hear what you have to say. You're rejecting common sense, okay? Somebody with street smarts. Last and lightest, and the thing that should sway you least is your own personal feelings and experiences. Sadly, this is the one that most people give the most weight to. I'm leaving him, can't take it anymore. Well, yeah, but the Bible says this about divorce. Yeah, but you know what? I've prayed about it and I have peace. My personal emotional experience right now is the heaviest, most weighty part of my decision making. Yeah, but you're throwing God's word through the window. See, and in, in our world today, personal feelings and experiences, that's number one. You need to be true to yourself. You need to follow your heart. You need to do what's right for you. And the unforgivable sin 
today in our world is interfering with a person's individualism. Okay? Uh, this book crucifies your individualism. So the next time you lay out your little plans and you say, well, this is what I want, and then, and then the Bible comes at you with three nails and a hammer and says, nail yourself to a cross, take up your cross, and follow me, understand that what you want usually is the opposite of what God wants. Get used to him taking your individualism away from you. Jesus didn't say, take up your crossword puzzle and follow me. All right. There's a cross on your back. You're letting go of you and your dreams and your hopes and your plans and your fears and you're laying it down to walk for a king who's greater than you in every way. A king who has made a place for you in heaven. He is worth it. He's not getting on your fan club bus. All right? He's not here to cheer on your dreams and hopes. You're here to get on his plan, his program. So humbly submit your plans to God. Follow his word, listen to biblical advice, receive common sense, and put your personal feelings and experiences surrendered to all of that. The truth is, God's relationship to your future is astonishing. He knows everything about your future. Therefore, he knows what's best and worst. The thought of God's omniscience, the thought of God's total total knowledge of everything about your future should humble you. Think about it. He knows the car you're going to buy next. You haven't even gone online yet to check it out. He knows every Christmas present you'll receive this December, and they haven't even been wrapped yet. He can tell you the weather forecast on your 90th birthday, if you get there. He can write down the names of the next 10 presidents, before you cast a vote. He knows every word you will say to every person you'll encounter before it comes out. Based on this, you should humble yourself and trust Him. I like what Tim Keller says about this. He says, when we pray, knowing God knows the future, I don't know if I'm supposed to rest in it because He already knows it, or if I'm supposed to wrestle because He's in control of it. And Tim Keller puts it great. He says, both. You should rest in it because he's in total control over it. And you should wrestle for it because he knows what's best. And he'll give it to you. It's both. It's not one or the other. Humbly submit your plans to God. David knew this when David, uh, the prophet came in and told David how the future would play out. How God was going to establish his throne forever. One day a descendant from David would come. He'd become a ruler forever. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. David sat down after God told him about uh, generations of future kings coming from his line and the one king who would rule forever. David sat down, he was overwhelmed because God just told him the future. And in First Chronicles 17, he said this, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house, that you have brought me thus far? This was a small thing in your eyes, O God. And you've also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have shown me future generations, O God. David was blown away because God knew everything about his future. God could tell you the middle name of your great, 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 great granddaughter. He knows everything about everything about your future now. Boy, that should humble you. That should affect your planning and your dreaming. 
And that should make you trust God with your future, and me too. How are you supposed to process it? We're talking about trials and walking through the fire by faith. How am I supposed to process it when I'm afraid about the future or insecure? Well, when my dreams fail, my kids didn't turn out the way I thought. My, my job isn't what I figured it would be. My, my finances aren't for retirement where, where I thought they would land. This is not what I had in mind. Trust God with your future. He knows all of it. He's in total control of everything. So you should run towards him, not away from him. You should humble yourself and not rise up in pride or anger. What foundation are you, are you building your future on? Because if it's not on Christ, all other ground is sinking sand. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. That's your hope. That's your foundation. Like me, maybe you've been up uh, in the Hancock building. <clears throat> the Hancock building up, I think it's like the 96th floor or something. They've got like that lounge where you can look out. See, don't pay for the actual observation deck because you can go to the lounge and just get coffee and you get a free view. See, I'm cheap, so I know that. Just go up. It's called the Signature Lounge, I think. You just sit there by the window and sip, you know, $2 coffee and, and, uh, and it's free, practically. Anyway, I've been up in that building, but I read recently the story of uh, the, the, the construction of the Hancock building. Did you know in March of 1966, the lead structural engineer of the Hancock building got a nightmare phone call? His skyscraper was sinking. They had only poured the foundations, and he got a phone call <clears throat> saying that the foundation on which a 100-story building would be built, which at the time would be the second tallest building in the world, was sinking. He had a radical new design which featured supports around the outside frame instead of on the inside. Every single skyscraper bigger than the Hancock building from that point forward would use his design. It was revolutionary, but the foundation wasn't right. So it was sinking. Even more alarming, <clears throat> famous psychic Jean Dixon predicted that the building would come tumbling down even before she knew they had found a problem. So he was really spooked by this. When the lead engineer arrived on the scene, he found out what had happened. One of the eight-foot-thick concrete columns going in had shifted seven-eighths of an inch. He found out how it happened. The construction crews were rushing, and so they poured the foundation while all the heavy machines were still in place. And then when they drove off, they left, they left low spots in the dirt around, and the, the dirt had shifted, which caused the whole thing to shift. It delayed the project for six months. cost lots of money. But he knew they had to get the foundation right or the building would fall. So they did. They got it right. Now when you go up in the Hancock building, you're not really afraid of it falling over. But if they had neglected that problem at the foundational level, they would have had a bigger problem up the road. Hey, what are you building your future on? Are you building your future on the promises of Christ that only Jesus can satisfy my soul and secure my life now and forever? Or are you trusting the world the plans, the dreams, the glitz, the glamour, the limelight, the money. Is that what you're lusting after? Is that what you're building on? That's sinking sand. It's tipping. It's going to fall. Build your life on the promises of Christ. Build your life on your devotion to Christ. Because time is short. Your opportunities are limited. You should make the absolute best choices. You should elevate the true priorities. You should eliminate all waste of your time and attention. You should rest wisely because you know that it is going to be a race. And then you should enter into eternity fully spent for the Lord. 
Humble yourself before the Lord. Trust Him with your future. He is in control of it. Let's pray together.